welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and today is February 22nd, and today we're going to look at Exodus 3. As a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of God's Word, so today we're going to look at Exodus 3, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology very briefly. My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's uh, read now from Exodus chapter 3. And Exodus chapter 3 says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see it, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say to this people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. 
But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Well, this is our reading today from Exodus chapter 3. Now, though Shakespeare's Hamlet once asked, what is in a name, as if a person's given name is wholly unimportant, we must keep in mind that a person's name can be very significant. We often can tell much about someone's history from his name. A last name, such as Carpenter, for example, likely indicates the family profession involving woodworking at one time, even if the occupation was long ago. Now, in Scripture, this is also the case. Uh, For instance, Abraham names the son of promise Isaac because the name means laughter. Recalling the time his parents laughed at the idea of having a son in Genesis 17, 17 and Genesis 18, 12. And yet not only are the names of men important in the Bible, God's name also reveals much about his character to us. Now, our chapter is going to recount the Lord's encounter with Moses at the burning bush. Having heard the cries of his people in Exodus 2, 23-25, our father appoints Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. Now, when Moses asks him to reveal his name, God replies in Exodus 3, 1-14, I am. Now, the words I am is in Hebrew, Yahweh. It is the holiest name for God in the Old Testament, and it is for use only by the covenant people of God. That the Lord has a name at all indicates he is personal and he has a real relationship with mankind. God's name is in the present tense here. He says, I am, not I was, but am now. Our values, our knowledge change, but the Lord remains the same. As you see in James 1.17, the Lord is never inconsistent. We can thereby count on his wrath for sinners and his mercy for the repentant. Now, the difference between our life and the Lord's is in how he exists. It is in God that we live and move and have our being, as we see in Acts 17, 28. And so, if the universe were to cease to exist, the Lord would live on. He does not need the universe, for he himself upholds all things, as you see in Job 34, 14-15. God is not contingent. He's not derived. He has the power of being in and of himself. He is, in other words, self-existent, depending on nothing else for his life. This is known as a doctrine of aseity. You see, God never changes. That is, he is immutable. But he does interact with real people in real history. He reveals himself in the context of a relationship, which reminds us and reminds Moses that he is the God of the patriarchs, as we see in verse 6 of our chapter today. Do you live as if God is present, or does he exist practically to you only as an impersonal force? Today, remain mindful that God is active in your life, and talk to him in prayer without ceasing as defined in his word. God's word was put into writing over many centuries through the efforts of men like Moses, whom the Holy Spirit inspired to give us a supremely authoritative written revelation, which is what we have in the 66 books that constitute the word of God. 
Now, the biblical writers devoted much attention to Moses, the one through whom our Creator mediated the Old Covenant. And to Moses, we now turn to see how his mediation is developed and even fulfilled throughout the whole Bible. We know that the story of Moses, the Levite child whom God providentially rescued from the hand of wicked Pharaoh, only to have him grow up in the Egyptian court in Exodus 1-1 through Exodus 2-10. We know already that Moses has killed an Egyptian slave master. He's fled to Midian. He's resigned himself to a life of a simple shepherd who tends the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro in Exodus 2-11 through 25. And as often as the case, however, God's plan for his people are far different than our plans for ourselves. In the wilderness of Horeb, God appears to Moses in a bush that is burning without being consumed in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3 of Exodus. He has heard the cries of his enslaved people and has chosen to send Moses to Pharaoh to gain their freedom in in verses 6 through 10 of our chapter today. The Almighty grounds his redemptive goal in his own nature. He tells Moses that he is a God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob in verse 6, identifying himself as the one who always keeps his covenant and who is always moving to accomplish his promises to the patriarchs and their progeny. Now, God underscores this point in revealing to Moses his covenant name Yahweh, or I am, in Exodus 3.14. You see, the Lord is who he is. His character cannot change. He will remain utterly faithful and keep all of his promises. Now, Moses doubts Yahweh's choice, replying in essence, why me? I'm not the man for the job in verse 11. We too often feel this way when God calls us to hard things, even if they pale in comparison to Moses' texts. Now, it's, it is a feeling J.R.R. Tolkien captures in the Fellowship of the Ring with Frodo. Chosen to face great evil and destroy the one ring, he says to Gandalf the wizard, I am not made for perilous quests. I wish I had never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? And yet the God who calls us to service also equips us to serve, as we see in 2 Peter 1.3. Moses learned this lesson during his life, and believers continue to learn this truth today. In fact, we can say when God calls us to his service, he also gives us what we need to perform that service. Sometimes he does this directly through spiritual giftings. Other times he opens the doors for us to get further education or training. What opportunities for Christian training are currently open to you? Are you taking advantage of them? Please take advantage of those options you have and seek the Lord's help in them. Strive to create opportunities for yourself as you trust the Lord as well. Now, one of the most significant events in the life of the Lord's people in redemptive history is the Exodus. However, as important as the Exodus is, it is even more important for us to see in Exodus 3, God reveals the majestic magnificence of his character. In fact, it is a magnificence that contains two great and glorious truths which are linked, without which the Christian cannot understand or worship the Lord. As important as the salvation of Israel from Egypt is, it cannot be properly understood unless it's framed within the revelation of God's twofold character as expressed by his own declaration and as displayed in the burning bush. As God comes to Moses, he announced himself as the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob in verse 6. Here God identifies himself as the covenant God, the one who has sovereignly initiated a relationship with his people. 
And so the first thing that God wants Moses to recognize is that he is a God who is with his people in verse 12, who will deliver them from Egypt in verse 8, and who has redeemed them for the purpose of worshiping him alone in verse 12. God is accomplishing his covenant promise to Israel through Moses. And so Moses recognizes the sheer weight of this call from God. And so he hesitates. He looks for a way out. He first points to his own sufficiency. Who am I in verse 11? And, and God points back to his all sufficiency, but I will be with you in verse 12. But then Moses asks something that might at first glance seem strange. He wants to know God's name. And the reason he asked for God's name is because, as we're going to see in the Old Testament, the name of somebody often designates the character of that person. Now, Moses is asking God for a revelation of his character so that Israel may know uh, that the one who was called Moses is sufficient. He is able to achieve the deliverance promise. Now, the name that God gives to Moses, I am who I am, is a revelation of God's utter and complete self-sufficiency. It's a revelation, as we've talked about, of God's aseity. He alone is of himself. God, and only God, is dependent on nothing. And this means for Moses and even for Israel that God is not dependent on Pharaoh's cooperation to accomplish what he's promised. Now, the name of God, I am, is the root form of the name Yahweh. John Calvin rightly says that this name is given to us in the Old Testament. He says that our minds may be filled with an admiration as often as his incomparable essence is mentioned. That incomprehensible essence given in the name Yahweh is mentioned more than 5,000 times in the Old Testament. So in Exodus 3, God identifies himself in two ways. He tells Moses that he is the covenant God who is with his people, that he is the self-existing God who needs nothing in order to be who he is and to do what he purposes to do. And this brings us to the burning bush. The purpose of that miracle was not simply that Moses might be amazed. It was to display God's own twofold character that he had announced to Moses. The burning bush illustrates what theologians call transcendence and eminence. The revelation of the burning bush was a revelation that the I am is and always will be utterly independent and self-sufficient. After all, he is fully and completely God, even as he promises and even plans to come down in verse 8, to be with his people and to redeem them. The burning bush points us to that climatic revelation of the one who is fully and completely the self-existing God, who comes down to redeem a people who is Emmanuel, God with us. In other words, it points us to Jesus Christ himself, as we see in Matthew 1.23 and Matthew 28.20. Now, the revelation of God's twofold character in Exodus 3, it's essential to grasp for all who seek to engage in the biblical task of apologetics. No other religion on the face of the earth recognizes this kind of God. The faith we defend is wholly unique. It begins and even ends with the revelation of this majestic mystery of God's character given to us in the word of God. Now, the name Yahweh is revealed to Moses in our chapter today when the Lord appears in the burning bush to call him to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. Ancient Hebrew does not have written vowels, even though the ancient words were pronounced with them whenever the text was read out loud. Vowels were not reflected in the text themselves until the medieval period. In Hebrew, Yahweh appears as four letters. The English word Jehovah derives from a German transliteration that traces back to the 1500s. 
It, it is a combination of Yahweh and the vowels from Adonai, the word for Lord. Now, linguists today universally agree that the divine name was never intended to be pronounced Jehovah as Yahweh best reflects the Hebrew consonants and vowels given to Moses. Now, Yahweh is related to the verbal root be, to be and as seen in the phrase, I am who I am in Exodus 3.14. So Yahweh thus means I am. And though it may not be apparent at first, the name Yahweh, it tells us many important things about God's identity. And in the first place, it indicates the Lord's character does not change. We can say of ourselves, I was X yesterday, but today I'm Y. And maybe tomorrow I will be Z. But our creator cannot say the same. Yesterday he says, I am. Today he says, I am. And tomorrow he says, I am. The Lord does not grow in knowledge, or the Lord does not grow in holiness. God cannot gain or lose any of his perfections. His very character is unalterable. He is the one for whom there is no shadow or change, as we see in James 1.17. In fact, Jesus uh, takes this same name for himself in John 8.58, thereby showing his claim to be one with the Father and thereby worthy of our worship. In fact, you might see the seven I am statements in John's gospel. They take us back to this point in Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. Jesus is claiming to be fully God and fully man. Now, Yahweh also points out a vital distinction between our essence and God's essence. Both humans and the Almighty possess attributes of beingness. That is, we both exist. However, our being is derivative. For there was a time when we did not exist. But you see, God is self-existent. He has always been and can never cease to be, as we see in Psalm 90 verse 2. So take a moment to think about how you've changed over the years. Perhaps you are stronger or weaker today than you were 10 years ago. Maybe you have progressed in your sanctification so that you can repent quickly and love readily. Can it be that you have abandoned the lustful passions that characterized your pre-Christian life? And though we change in our abilities and characters, our Father does not. He alone provides a secure foundation for all of life because Christ is truly sufficient as we see revealed in the 66 books of the Word of God. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is February 22nd, and we've looked at Exodus 3. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.